Oh man, it's, uh, I, I, Adam's right, I do love this place. And I, I pray for New Hope Church every day, every morning, you can ask my wife, every morning for the last, I don't know, four or five years. Uh, it's just part of my, part of my thing. And I, I just, I love you all and I'm grateful for you and grateful that God called Pastor Adam and his family here and grateful for the team that's here. So many good people in this place and so grateful for what God is doing here. To watch that today, all those people be baptized. I think 34 in, in total uh, today were baptized into Christ. And man, this is so cool what God is doing here. And like I said last time I was here, this is God's church and God's gonna continue to move in this place. So, and I'm excited to be here in the middle of this series that Adam's been calling Plan B. Anybody on a Plan B? What about a Plan C? X, Y, Z, anybody on one of those, right? And we've been looking at the life of a young guy named Joseph, who early on in like his high school days, like a junior or senior in high school, got a glimpse of what he thought was God's plan A for him. And he got that through a dream from God. In fact, the whole story of Joseph involves dreams, which I believe still is a way that God speaks to us, not in a cryptic, you know, see if you can figure this riddle out kind of way, but I do believe that God plants dreams in our hearts. Sometimes when we're asleep, sometimes when we're wide awake, but he speaks deep to deep and ignites a unique passion inside of you and me and gives us a vision for the future. I read some interesting research a while back that shows that people who actually take the time to write down their dreams are 42% more likely to accomplish them. I just need to write more down because I can't remember dreams very well. Can you? I, I mean, at least the nighttime ones. You ever have one of those dreams? Or you just wake up and you go, what the heck was that? Well, where, where, did, where did that come from? I had one last night in the hotel where I dreamt of trying to hit a 215 mile an hour fastball. I have no idea where that came from. I had one just the other night that I, that I could not find where I parked my truck at Disneyland. I have no idea where that came from. I searched for my truck all night long. I also had a really, really weird one where I was working security for Taylor Swift's Eras Tour. <laughs> Backstage, the past, the whole thing. I was trying to find, where'd that come from? I, I, now, I did take a leadership lesson from that dream because somebody had been kind of critical of me earlier in the week. So I think well, maybe God was trying to tell me, hey, player's gonna play, 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 play. <laughs> Hater's gonna hate, hey, you just gotta have to shake it off, shake it off, uh-uh, shake it off, right? Now, that's what I took from that dream. But sometimes God plants a dream in our hearts. And sometimes he even gives us a glimpse of the, of, of the future. And for Joseph, as a 17-year-old guy, he gets a pretty clear picture of what his future was gonna look like. It's one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. If you have missed any of the series so far, go back and catch them. I mean, Adam does such an amazing job of unpacking the story and some principles that we need to stick in our life. But if you've got a Bible, you've got an app that you use, we're gonna be in Genesis chapter 37, and we're gonna fly through these. We're gonna put them on the screen as well so you can track along. And like I said, we're gonna fly through these chapters all the way to the end, so you might wanna read the whole story in one sitting today, maybe when you get home. There are several key principles that I wanna highlight out of Joseph's life as it relates to you and me hearing from God and then pursuing those dreams that he plants with, within us. And I wanna give you the very first one before we jump in to this text. God's dream for your life is much more about who you are than where you go or what you do. God's dream for your life and my life is a whole lot more about who you are becoming 
than where you go or what you do with your life. Now, God does have some really big time dreams for us, but his primary dream, his primary plan has a lot more to do with who we're becoming as people than it does a specific place or project. And for Joseph, God had a unique dream for his life. And incredibly, as a 17-year-old guy, he lets him in on it. It says this in Genesis 37. Now, Jacob, the dad, loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day he gave Joseph a special gift, a beautiful robe, but his brothers hated Joseph because of their father's partiality. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Well, one night Joseph had a dream and promptly reported the details to his brothers, causing them to hate him even more. Listen to this dream, he announced. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. My bundle stood up, and then your bundles all gathered around and bowed before it. So you're going to be our king, are you? His brothers taunted. And they hated him all the more for his dream and what he said. Now we see here in the very beginning that Joseph was his father's favorite, and he'd been given this special treatment, this you know, technicolor dream coat thing that made more than just a fashion statement. It kind of flaunted his dad's partiality in the face of his brothers. I heard about a, a salesman that was going door, door to door, and he knocked on, a, knocked on the door, door swings open, there's a 10-year-old kid smoking a huge cigar. And the guy goes, uh, is your mother home? He goes, what do you think? <laughs> Here's, here's what I think. Either mom wasn't home or he was the youngest in the family because the youngest gets away with everything, right? Anybody hear the baby, the family? Let's just go ahead and boo these privileged prima, prima donnas, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm just kidding you, just kidding you. Now, the fact that he was his dad's favorite wasn't Joseph's fault. Now, it's not real great parenting, but you can see why it says his brothers couldn't stand him. And can any of you imagine just walking into the family room one day said, excuse me, everybody, got an announcement I'd like to make. Got a word from God. Now, I don't have all the details, but this much is pretty clear. Everybody in this family is going to serve me, and you're all going to bow down before me someday. Not real great discernment on Joseph's part. Probably should have kept that one to himself. Just a little bit cocky to tell your whole family that you're going to become greater than all of them. And you know what? That cockiness was a little character defect that God would have to work out of Joseph's life. Now, that was the word that God gave to Joseph. He was saying to him as a 17-year-old guy, here's my dream for your life. I'm going to raise you up to not only a position above your brothers and your whole family, but to a place of honor and power over all the nations. And that's, that's eventually what happens. When the most powerful king in the world at the time, the Pharaoh of Egypt, puts Joseph in charge and he rules the nations as a 30-year-old guy. But you know as well as I do, sometimes discovering, understanding, and living in God's dream, God's will for your life can be quite the roller coaster ride, can it? Sometimes you hear the still small voice of God whisper to you saying, this is, this is where I'm leading you. Just follow me. Then in the next breath, he says, and please fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> Grab hold of the bar in front of you. Keep your arms and legs inside the ride at all times until your car has come to a complete stop. Enjoy your ride. <laughs> right? And that's what we discover in Joseph's life from age 17 to age 30. The 13 years that fall in between these two events were absolute wild ride years. 13 years. 
where it might have been possible for Joseph to lose sight of any hope that God even cared about him, much less that God had something good in mind for his life. You ever have one of those days? One of those weeks? One of those months? One of those lives? Some of you know the story. Adam's been teaching it out. He's going to continue to unpack it next week. But Joseph's brothers hate him. And they're all the way out in the pastures of a place called Dothan, tending sheep. And the dad, Jacob, sends little brother Joseph on a trip to check, out, check up on them and to bring them some much-needed supplies. Well, they see him coming up over the hill. And he's wearing his dad-likes-me-better-than-you jacket. And they are not happy. They're not excited. Nobody's, hey, what's up, little bro? Nobody's saying that. Their hate, their resentment, their bitterness, their jealousy, their rage begins to burn within them. And they say to each other, when he gets here, let's just kill him. Why don't we just kill him? So they devise a plan. They find a pit, an empty cistern is there. And they say, when he gets here, we'll just beat him up and throw him in that pit. And we'll figure out later what we're going to do to him. We'll just rip that stupid robe off of him. Then we'll kill an animal. We'll throw blood all over his robe. We'll drop his body in a pit. And then we'll go home and tell dad that some bear, some mountain lion, or some animal got him on the way here. He'll be history. We will never bow down before him. And we will certainly never serve him. And we don't have to worry about him anymore. He'll be gone and out of the picture. Some of y'all think you got some sibling rivalry going on in your house these days. So Joseph shows up and says, hey guys, got some stuff for you. They said, we got some stuff for you. They grab him, boom, rip his robe off. All of a sudden, he's in a pit looking up. Ever had one of those days? Well, the brothers sit down to eat lunch. And they're thinking about what we're going to do to him. And about that time, they see uh, these Ishmaelites, the sort of a gypsy band of people moving across the desert in, in their caravan. And one of the brothers sees dollar signs flash before his eyes. He says, hey, guys, I think I got a great idea. We don't have to kill him. Let's sell him. Everyone to sell your little brother before? Well, we'll just sell him. We'll just sell him to these gypsies coming, coming by. We'll get some cash for him. Then we can still show dad the, the blood-soaked robe that we found and tell him that some animal got him on the way here and he, and he died. Dad will never, ever know the difference. We won't have to live with the guilt of killing our own brother. Plus, we'll make a few bucks in the process. And they say, that's a plan. Those Ishmaelites come along and these guys sell their little brother to them for about eight ounces of silver. They go straight to Egypt, put him in a slave auction where he's bought by a guy named Potiphar who happens to be the head of security for the Pharaoh, for the king. Well, this guy Potiphar takes him home and puts him to work. And Joseph is no longer the favorite, the golden child of the family. And his dream is not working out like he had pictured it. But remember, God's dream God's plan, God's will for our life is much more about who we are than where we go or what we do. Like Adam said last weekend, God was preparing him from the inside out. You see, God was interested in using whatever came Joseph's way to mold and shape his character. Remember that little cockiness thing? That little brashness character defect in him? As Joseph worked as a servant in Potiphar's house, he learned a priceless thing called humility. And gang, as a side note, I don't know, maybe you are not in your quote-unquote dream job right now, but maybe God has you where you are currently to shape you and mold you and teach you some things, to refine your character, to, to teach you patience and perseverance, maybe to, maybe to teach you an excellent work ethic, maybe to teach you how to get along with difficult people. Maybe to teach you how to be a team player, how to be a humble servant. 
As you read, you'll see that while Joseph was certainly not in his dream job, he was humble. And he was faithful, he was obedient, he worked hard, didn't gripe, didn't complain, he was full of integrity. And in spite of his circumstances, he just served knowing that God was not only with him, but God was doing something on the inside of him. And as a result, God used his life and he had success with everything he touched in Potiphar's house. Well, after a while, Potiphar notices it. And he says to Joseph, man, you are so good. I mean, you're amazing. You are kind, you're honest, you're trustworthy. You're loyal, you do things with excellence. I mean, everything I have is now under your command. You've got full run of the house. I am trusting you with all my administrative affairs. So Joseph, just doing his thing with character, he's being honored by God. Things weren't exactly the way they were back home with his dad, but this new job was, I mean, it was working out okay. Until Potiphar's wife, some of you know the story, she has this thing for Joseph. Now, Scripture, when you read it, you'll see Scripture actually says that Joseph was like a well-built, handsome hunk of a guy. And I did, I did a little word study on the ancient Hebrew word for handsome. Literally, it translates totally bald with a white beard. That's what it says. Look it up yourself. Well, anyway, <laughs> she tries to seduce this young guy. But because of his authenticity, Joseph doesn't give in. He thinks, man, Potiphar trusts me. He trusts me with his, everything in his house. I mean, how in the world could I take his own wife? And then he says to her, listen, I can't do this and sin against God. Well, she is totally frustrated by that. So one day when nobody else was around and Joseph's working inside the house, he grabs him by the clothes and demands that he sleep with her. Well, he pulls away as he does his shirt or his jacket comes off and he runs out of the house and she's left holding his cloak and begins to scream that this slave had tried to sexually assault her. And when Potiphar comes home, she tells him this big, phony, melodramatic story which makes him furious and Potiphar throws Joseph in jail for attempted rape. Ever had one of those days? Where you're just trying to do the right thing. You're just trying to do the honorable thing and then all of a sudden you're behind the prison bars of false accusations. But you know what scripture says? God was with him in that jail. He was right there with him. And I don't know. I don't know, but maybe God was reminding Joseph, remember the dream. Remember your dream. I have a great plan for your life. I have great vision for you. I really am going to take you somewhere. I really, I'm really going to do something extraordinary with you. And I don't know, but Joseph might have been thinking... Yeah, great, God. I'm living the dream. <laughs> Getting beat up by my brothers and thrown in a pit. That was awesome. That trip through the desert, chained up with a bunch of gypsies. Wow, I love to rebook that cruise. Being sold as a slave to Potiphar's house. Rape charges for simply trying to honor you. Yeah, this is exactly how I pictured my life turning out, God. But instead of any of that, Joseph just leans into God's promises. And he leans into God's continual presence. He knew God was with him. And after a while, you know what happens? The warden of the prison makes him head over the whole jail. You see, in spite of the circumstances, Joseph's one of those guys who just decided to bloom wherever he was planted. God was so with him, and he was so honorable, and he was so filled with integrity and so filled with this servant spirit that they make him a trustee. They kind of made him inmate number one. 
Well, Pharaoh, the king, he gets real temperamental one day and sends these two guys to jail. His cupbearer, kind of his personal butler, and his baker. I don't know why he sent them to jail. Maybe the Krispy Kremes were a little stale, or maybe there were water spots on the glasses or starch in his shorts, I don't know. But the king gets ticked at these two and throws them into jail. And while they're there, the cupbearer and the baker, they have these dreams. And they start talking to Joseph, saying, man, have you ever had one of those, one of those dreams where you wake up and go, what the heck was that? We've been having these crazy dreams and they feel so real and they're very, very detailed. We can't figure them out. Has that ever happened to you? And Joseph says, absolutely, man. I know dreams. I had one when I was 17 that God was gonna make me the ruler of a nation and all my brothers and family were gonna bow down to me. They're probably thinking, so what are you doing here? <laughs> but anyway, they say, well, we both had these dreams and we don't know what to do with them. And Joseph said, well, we're not going anywhere anyway. Why don't you tell them to me? And so they tell him the dreams. And Joseph interprets the dreams through the power of God and says, uh, uh, okay, here's the deal. I don't know exactly how to break this to you. I'm really, really sorry, Mr. Baker. This is gonna be it for you. Uh, your dream means your days are numbered, three to be exact. You're gonna be executed. Really sorry, dude. Mr. Cupbearer, I got good news for you. In three days, you're gonna be back in your position with the Pharaoh. And just one small thing, I'm not supposed to be here. I've been kidnapped, I've been sold, I've been framed, I've been set up. So when you get back to the palace, the name is Joseph. Could you put in a good word for Joseph? Well, it happens. In three days, just as Joseph predicted, the, the baker was history. And in three days, the cupbearer was right back in the throne room of the Pharaoh. But guess what he forgot to mention? He forgot Joseph. Ever had one of those days? And for two years, scripture emphasizes, for two full years, Joseph waited in that jail. Until finally, the Pharaoh has a couple of dreams. And he gets all stressed out about it. And he can't figure out what they mean. He can't get an answer from any of his magicians or his so-called wise men of his nation. And all of a sudden, the memory of the cupbearer kicks in. He says, hey, wait a second. Remember that time you got mad through me in jail? I met this guy there. His name was, oh, what was his name? His name was uh, Joseph. Joseph, that was his name. You ought to bring him in. Now let me just suspend the story right there for a second and say this. 13 years have gone by. Not 13 days, not 13 months, 13 years. And I think in every one of those moments, Joseph could have been tempted like you and I are to lose total hope that there was a loving God who had plans for his life. And I don't know, maybe you were in the middle of one of those 13 year seasons right now. I just wanna remind you that God sees the whole picture. He has a bigger canvas in his mind and whatever we're able to see right now is just a little snapshot that fits lovingly into the plan that God is unfolding in our lives. God does have a hope and a future for your life. But I gotta add this disclaimer. It doesn't necessarily look like the American dream. Here's, here's what I have a tendency to do, and maybe you do too. We let our culture paint a picture of what a dream life looks like. We set the canvas up before God and say, God, as long as your plan and this perfect picture match up with no variance, I'm cool with following you. As long as my life looks exactly like this, including granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, <laughs> exotic beach vacations, season tickets, and perfect health, I will let you lead my life. 
And somewhere along the way, God's saying, excuse me? You, you call that letting me lead your life? You call that following my voice? You call that trusting me? for hope in the future? I mean, did I, did I say somewhere in scripture that the reason I created men and women was to live in America and have all the things that make them comfortable in this world? Did I say somewhere that I wanted everybody to be wealthy? Did I say somewhere that everyone would experience a pain-free, trouble-free, bliss-filled existence where you would always get the job, you would always get the house, get the car, get the girl, get the guy, get the cash, get the win, get the scholarship, get the glowing report back from the doctor, that you would always get ahead in this world's terms? Or did I say that I just want everyone to burn with passion for me and my purposes? and to trust me as their good, good father, to allow me to put them on the potter's wheel and mold them and shape them into the person I want them to be and to follow my voice knowing that my ways are higher and my thoughts are higher and my view is much better. My dream for you is that you would choose joy no matter what the circumstances are in this sometimes unfair life. Keep your eyes on me, lean into my peace, live grateful lives that are molded in the image of Jesus Christ and make an eternal difference with your one and only life wherever I lead you. There's a, there's a lot of important lessons that we were, all of us are gonna take away from this series and the story of Joseph. But here's one that has really helped keep me focused. God is far more interested in my character than he is my comfort. God is far more interested in my character than he is my comfort. And until we start thinking that way, man, we're going to miss it. Because we set the canvas of our dreams up before God. So God has to look like this in order for it to be your master plan for my life. And God says through the life of Joseph, no, it doesn't. I mean, I told you that in this life you will have trouble. But I also told you that I promised to be with you through it all. Plus, I can take whatever this sometimes unfair life throws at you and use it to shape you and mold you and chisel you and make you into the person I know you can be. Trust him in the process. Trust him in the waiting. Trust him in the dark. Because here's another thing I've been learning from the story of Joseph. God is always with you. He's always working in the dark when you even can't even see it. You see, what Joseph could have easily done at any of these stops along the way, he could have said, well, I guess God was A, wrong, B, changed his mind, C, I did something stupid and got bumped off the master plan track, or D, maybe the whole dream thing was just the effects of some late night Taco Bell. I don't know. <laughs> but instead, Joseph continually just submitted himself to God. And I think I know why. Because over and over in this text, it says, God was with them. God was with them in Potiphar's house. God was with them in that jail. I think the whole time he was remembering that the with me God is at work even in the darkness. You see, when it gets dark, God doesn't go to bed. God doesn't need sleep. He doesn't need to rest. doesn't take naps. doesn't need a double espresso shot to get going in the morning. doesn't need a Red Bull to give him wings in the afternoon. It says this in Psalm 121, indeed, he who watches over Israel never tires, never sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. That reminds us that when our bodies flop in bed tonight because we are exhausted, when we close our eyes to rest, the inexhaustible God will be up all night working out the details of our promised hope and future. That's what he'll be doing. When Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, God's plan was moving ahead. When he was in Potiphar's house, God wasn't caught off guard by all that. When he was falsely accused, arrested, and thrown in prison, 
God's dream was not derailed. When he was forgotten by the cupbearer, he was not forgotten by God. And as Joseph continued to wait in that jail, as those two years passed, day after day after day, that work in the dark God was timing the events of his life until just at the right moment, Pharaoh has a dream. And in one 24-hour period, God would move Joseph from the jail to the second most powerful position in the nation. Christian Rigger spent four years in a very dark place, the infamous concentration camp in Dachau. He was imprisoned there by the Nazis from 1941 to 1945. His crime, being a passionate follower of Jesus, that was it. And he wrote this, Nietzsche said that a man can undergo torture if he knows the why of his life. But here at Dachau, I learned something far greater. I learned to know the who of my life. He was enough to sustain me then, and he is enough to sustain me still. Listen to me. Listen to the life of Joseph. God has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten you. He is the who of your life. Working behind the scenes in whatever dungeon experience you're going through right now, he is committed to working all things together for good to those who love him. You can trust him. He is with you in the dark, like we just sang. He is in the waiting. He is in the waiting. Martha Snell Nicholson, who went through four incurable diseases and unspeakable pain in her life for 35 years, written some of the most beautiful poetry I've ever read. And, and now that I know this, she wrote it from that context. It makes it even more meaningful to me. But she wrote kind of a spoken word piece years ago. It said, pain knocked upon my door and said that she had come to stay. And though I would not welcome her, but told her, go away, she entered in like my own shade, she followed after me. And from her stabbing, stinging sword, no moment was I free. And then one day another knocked most gently at my door. I cried, no, pain is living here and there's not room for more. Then I heard his tender voice, it's me, be not afraid. And from the day he entered in, the difference it has made. For though he did not make her leave, my strange unwelcome guest, he taught me how to live with her. Oh, I had never guessed that we could dwell so sweetly here, my Lord and pain and I, within this fragile house of clay, while years slip slowly by. You see, Jesus is not only preparing a place for us, he's preparing us for that place. And maybe through the pain, what are we going through, one of those 13 year seasons, maybe you just get honest with God like many of us have. Say, God, this is not how I dreamt it would all go down. Help me to see beyond the darkness. Because I'm, I'm, God, honestly, I'm feeling crushed right now. I'm just asking you to remold me and reshape me. Refine my character. Whatever you want to do, God, but help me to trust the fact that you are the God of unfailing love. And that you do see the bigger picture. And I know you're working in the dark. I urge you to pray that kind of honest prayer. I guarantee you, Joseph prayed, prayed a prayer like that a time or two. And if Joseph could survive all those years of mistreatment, loneliness, betrayal, and waiting... You can too. He's the same God. One last principle. God's dream is to have the right person in the right place for his right purposes. That's always God's plan, to have his person in his place for his purposes. Remember, God's will is much more about who we are than where we go or what we do. But isn't it cool when all of that, the who and where and what all comes together, isn't it such an awesome feeling to step back from a moment and know that you were that person you go, whoa, that's crazy. That felt like a divine appointment. Like I didn't see that coming, but I was, I was supposed to be sitting 
in 12, seat 12B on that flight today. I was supposed to be standing next to that lady in the checkout line. It, it was so amazing that they introduced me to this new God, AA, and our stories just intersected, just blew me away that God would use a person like me and all the pain I've been through in my life to bring hope and comfort to a stranger today. I, I think I was the right person at the right time being used for God's right purposes. And God always loves to see that work out. Now, I know that Adam will dive into this much more deeply next week, but you got to hear the rest of the story, and this is not spoiler alert. But Pharaoh has these two dreams, and he brings Joseph in from the prison to interpret the dreams for him. And Joseph said, uh, it's, it's beyond my personal power to do this, but, but God will reveal to you what it means. So Pharaoh goes through the dreams, and Joseph says, okay, well, here's the deal, sir. It's going to get really, really bad around here. Uh, and now we are going to have seven years of plenty. I mean, some major heavy-duty bumper crops, but then the economy is going to tank, and we're going to have seven years of drought, absolutely nothing. And Pharaoh, if you're really, really smart, you'll put the excess away in storage during the seven years of plenty, so when the famine does hit, and it will, the nation will have enough to survive. And Pharaoh says, wow, you're no ordinary Joe. Sorry, I'm stupid. Uh, you're pretty sharp. I can tell that I love it. He says, I can tell that God is with you. Even a pagan king who worshiped other little G gods recognizes this. He says, I'm putting you in charge of the whole storage process. In fact, I will be the only one in all of Egypt with a higher rank than you. So for seven years, Egypt got real discipline and stored away the excess. And just as the dream foretold, major famine came on the land. Seven years of famine. And you know what? Nobody in the land had food except for Egypt. And you know who was in charge of all the food in Egypt? Yep, Joseph. And guess who? Comes to Egypt looking for some food for their family. Yep, Joseph's brothers. And you know who ultimately comes? The whole family. They come and it says, not recognizing Joseph, they bow down before him. I was surfing channels the other day and came across the equalizer with Denzel. Even though I've seen it a dozen times, I watched it again. Uh, I mean, e equalizer one, Denzel is the baddest Home Depot employee you'll ever see in your life. And he just dishes out payback on these sex trafficking guys, just takes them out one at a time. And if I'm Joseph in this moment, I'm just being honest, I probably got a little Denzel thing going on inside of me. I want to be the equalizer. As I see my brothers who have completely changed the course of my life, I'm thinking, well, 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 <laughs> look who's here. You've traveled such a long way. Allow me to show you your deluxe accommodations. How do individual pits sound for every one of you? Or maybe you like a nice long six-month ride chained up in a caravan. Hey, I know this guy named Potiphar, great house, evil wife. Would love for you to meet her. But there's none of that going on. I want you to look at this scene as Joseph not only reveals his identity, but he also reveals the way God's been working on his character. And he reveals his understanding of God's plan for his life. I love this. He says, I'm Joseph, said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? And I think the biggest understatement in the Bible right here. But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize it was Joseph standing there in front of them. Come over here, he said. So they came, inched closer. He said again, I'm Joseph. Remember me, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now you know when they heard this, they had to be freaking out because in their mind, they're hearing, I'm your brother, who you thought you'd never see again. 
And now I'm ruling Egypt. And therefore, in control of your destiny, right now I'm your absolute worst nightmare. But look what he says. He says, don't be angry with yourselves. You did this to me. God did it. He sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. These two years of famine will grow to seven, during which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me here to keep you and your families alive so that you will become a great nation. Yes, it was God who sent me here, not you. Joseph is saying to his brothers, listen, I'm not bitter about you and me in the pit. I'm not seeking revenge for being sold as a slave and abandoned in prison. As far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. Now to be sure, it was a wild 13 year roller coaster ride. He says, listen guys, you need to know this. God was with me and God's been working on my character. I am not the same cocky 17 year old kid that flaunted his favoritism in your face and bragged about his dream. God's been changing me. And he's been using everything I've been through to turn me into the right kind of person. So in the, in the day of famine, the right person would be in the right place at the right time to accomplish the right purposes of God. It was God who sent me here ahead of you. And gang, it's true. The immediate purposes were to feed the nations for seven years. But the greater purpose, this is so cool to me, the greater purpose was to preserve the sons of Jacob so that they could become the nation of Israel for the birth of Jesus Christ, for the salvation of the world, for you and me to be sitting here forgiven and free with an eternal home in heaven. It was crucial that Joseph be on the throne in Egypt that day. And that was plan A all along. You know, I, I love the story of Joseph because whenever I'm having one of those days, one of those weeks, one of those months, one of those 13-year seasons, I say, man, I don't get this. I feel like the whole thing's coming unraveled. This is, this, God, this is not the picture I had in mind. I can say, you know what, God, I, I really can't make any sense of this, but I know you're my father, you're my Abba, you're my daddy, and I know you have a much better view and a much deeper love, and I know even though I can't see it, you're working in the dark on my behalf, so I'm just gonna trust you. And I'll keep my eyes on you, and however you wanna use my life, it's in your hands. See, God holds more for your life than what you can currently see. Focus beyond your circumstances to the hope that he promises. Like Joseph, just be honorable in whatever circumstance you're currently in. Listen to his Holy Spirit throughout the day. Let him lead your life, and don't lose hope and the God who never sleeps. And when you crawl into bed at the close of this day, you can say, I may not know all the specifics of the plan, but it sure feels good to be in the hands of the one who does. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful for this story. I mean, it just, oh, to think of all the hard stuff that, that we go through, people in this room, people watching online, just, just the different things that we go through in life, God, and it's hard. I mean, Jesus, you told us that in this life we would have trouble, but to take heart, because you've overcome the world, you've already prepared a place for us, that this will not be like this forever. And until that time, God, thank you for the way you're preparing us for that place. Thank you for the way that you're working on the inside of us and producing things inside of us that really could be produced in no other way than going through hard times. Thank you for the way that you grow our character and our endurance and our perse perseverance and 
Thanks for the way your Holy Spirit moves inside and starts developing things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, all these things that we cannot manufacture on our own. So God, we're only here for a while and we just wanna put our life in your hands, put ourselves on the potter's wheel, let you shape us and mold us however you want to. And whatever circumstances come our way, God, we will know that you are with us and that you're working in the dark on our behalf and for your glory. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ and all that agreed said, amen, amen. amen.